This episode of Fermented Adventure the Podcast features Emily Later of Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. Please take a moment to subscribe to be notified when the most recent episode has been uploaded. Feel free to reach out to Emily and let her know what you thought about the podcast. Cheers! Ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guests. We're here sitting down with Emily Later. She's with Southern Glazer Wine and Spirits. Emily, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Wow, we've been, we've been working through this, I mean, since COVID started. We yes. were supposed to get together right before COVID in the beginning of March. Yes. We had been working on a couple of locations, mm-hmm. and we are finally able to do this today. So, again, thanks for making the time. Of course. We're going to sit down, and we're going to talk about a couple of things. We're going to talk about Jameson Cold Brew today. We're going to talk about a Glenlivet release. Yeah. Um, which I'm really excited about. Their Caribbean reserve is this Caribbean, Caribbean or Car- Caribbean? I think it's whatever you want, but I usually go with the Caribbean reserve. I feel like it's Pirates of the Caribbean, and then we're going on vacation in the Caribbean. So. Okay, so so today on on Caribbean a Wednesday reserve. in the morning, we're going to sit down and go on vacation, which is fun. And you've made us some cocktails. Yeah, should we talk about what we're drinking? What, what are we drinking? Um, so this is a little creation of my own using the Jameson Cold Brew, uh, which uses uh, all natural. Arabica coffee. Um, and so it's just a little bit of the cold brew. I added in a little bit of our uh, Malibu coconut rum. I'm thinking because well. it's got, it's, you get the cold brew, you get, so there's there's a little bit of foam at the top. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's um, coming from the oat milk um, that's in there as well. It could be like a nice hard shake at that really pretty foam on top. But um, I love coconut and coffee together. So I'm thinking we're looking at about an ounce of the cold brew. Probably, and maybe like a little bit more, because I like a boozy cocktail. (laughs) I like a boozy cocktail. So this is two ounces of cold brew. It's an ounce of the coconut rum. And then I did about two and a quarter ounces of actual like cold brew concentrate, because I want to bring out that coffee flavor a little bit more. Um, And then about two ounces of the oat milk and just a quarter ounce of simple syrup just to kind of round out the edges. So it's not overly sweet. You get the creaminess. And I like that you use the oat milk because now it becomes dairy free. Exactly. And what I will tell you is this coffee flavor, it really is pronounced. Mm -hmm. I kind of think that if a white Russian went to the like the Caribbean in itself with the coconut rum. Exactly. This is what it would be. Yep. It was like kind of like a little bit of a play on like a deconstructed uh, coffee colada. Um, you know, just like a nice brunch cocktail, super accessible. Um, you know, a lot of these flavored whiskeys sometimes can have like a little bit of a bad rap, but you know, in my opinion, I think like, especially now that we're staying home more, it's really nice to almost have like a cocktail in a bottle that you can use things that you have in your own kitchen and make a really neat and interesting cocktail. I think it's fascinating because you touched on something that when COVID started, Mm -hmm. we had a lot of the um, bars and distilleries and everyone going, and you don't see that as much right now. The, you know, what can you make with our spirit? Right. And you had people doing videos and tutorials that's kind of going away a little bit. And I think this is important that now, hey, people are still staying at home. Yes. There are a number of people, as we've talked to other business owners, restaurants, bars, distilleries, cideries, whatever, they don't necessarily want, they, the, the, their patrons are still saying to them, we don't necessarily want to go out in public yet. Right. We're not ready to do that. Right. And the numbers show that, um, you know, restaurants are still down by 55%. Pennsylvania liquor stores are up by 75%. So, 
the numbers clearly show that people are definitely still drinking. People are definitely still partying, but we're partying and we're drinking in a different way. Um, and we're doing it at home and that's okay. Um, you know, at the end of the day, spirits and, and beer and things of that nature are really just meant to bring people together and to make sure that people are still connected. So whether that's a virtual happy hour or having a couple friends over for, for a cocktail party, why not? You know, we're all looking for something that's going to bring us together and things that we have in common. It's interesting because even you said it today as we're talking, you and I have had a number of conversations over the phone and we met at the American Whiskey Convention. Yes. And obviously that didn't happen this year. Unfortunately, no. But the similar thing that pops into my head that we continue to bring up or even you just touched on is how spirits how a cocktail, how a beverage, what have you, is about bringing people together. It's about sharing the, the, the experience. Yes. And with the whole idea of COVID, I, a lot of people are missing that. A lot of people have really been vocal about saying, we just miss being able to hang out with our friends or being able to, you, you and I talked about it, just being able to go and have a cocktail at the bar. Yes. Watch the bartender make and craft a cocktail. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It, it's not there right now. No. Even, even the idea that you can go to even your Even if you're out. Even if right. not, you don't get to sit at the bar. No, you and, don't. You know, have that interaction with your bartender. You know, how do we, how do we battle that? Like, how do we, you know, compensate for that in a time when like, honestly, I don't know the next time we're going to be able to sit at a bar together. Um, and we're going to do that by, by drinking at home, by participating in these, you know, virtual trainings and happy hours. This is a time to educate yourself. You know, there's so much information out there. There's so many, um, you know, cool resources that we didn't have five years ago, um, you know, let alone today. So, you know, for me, like in this time, you know, I make sure that I make a different cocktail every week. It's just for you. Just for myself. Okay. Just to build out my bar. You know, that keeps me feeling relevant. It makes me, you know, feel creative. You know, the restaurant industry, the bar industry is going to need to figure out how to pivot. I need to figure out how to pivot. I'm still figuring it out. But, you know, when you're under pressure, that's when you grow. And our industry is going to have to do that. And we will. And we're going to figure it out. Well, as you said, 55%... Uh, sales are up, so down. Not in bars and restaurants, in bars but seventy five percent up in up liquor stores. In, in liquor stores, mm -hmm. so people are still consuming yes. alcohol. People Absolutely. are still consuming spirits. Mm -hmm. What you're doing is, as you said, you're pivoting to help people to create that at home experience. Absolutely. Rather than hey, we're just going to drink a bottle of wine, which you wouldn't mind them doing, but or you know what have you. Same. <laughs> they they can now they can now do some things on different levels. Exactly. When we met, you were working with Manitani. Yes. So talk about your experience there. Okay. And, and, and how did you get into – you're very, you're very passionate yeah. about spirits and, 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 and beverages and things like that. So, so how did all that come about for you? Sure. So I have worked in bars and restaurants um, probably since I was 16. Okay. So it was always something that I did, you know, after school job in high school, you know, part-time job in college. And I've had like very interesting eclectic background in terms of career choices. I was an actor growing up and thought I was going to be an actor. And then I decided I didn't really want to do that. And I was an art history major in college and tried to be an art appraiser. And that wasn't totally for me. Um, and so anytime things wouldn't work out, I would always go back to, um, to the bar. And I had some really amazing experiences bartending. That's really where I started to get more familiar with not just spirits, you know, on a working level, but more like on a cultural level. Um, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my career full time. And I knew I wanted to do something a little bit more than bartending. I, I wanted to kind of take it to the next level, but just didn't really know how to do that. Um, and so, you know, I was definitely going through it a little bit and just kind of having like a little bit of like a midlife crisis. And what really helped me was mentorship. And um, one of the guys who hired me at a bar in Center City, he was the director of operations, and I read his training manual 
and it was smart and it was interesting and it was funny and it, you know, had history of beer in there. And I had never read a training manual that had a voice and was just so just, you could just like, the passion was just like, so what, what really it. caught your attention was that somebody was willing to educate you mm-hmm. and yep. understanding that there's a foundation yep. that if you can, if, if, if they can elevate or you can be elevated with your knowledge, yes. how much better or how much skilled or how much interest, how many, how much more interested would exactly. you be about what exactly. you're doing just being a bartender? Right. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And I was just like, this is someone that I need in my life. This is someone that I need to continue to keep in touch with. And, you know, the job didn't work out. It just wasn't like the right time. But I saw him at a coffee shop and I went up to him and I said, Alex, you know, I don't know if you remember me, but you hired me and the job didn't work out. But I have some different ideas and I really want to pick your brain and, you know, I really value your opinion and I just want to talk to you about your experiences. And from there, he, yeah, he ended up becoming one of my best friends and one of my mentors and uh, he really helped me figure out what I wanted to do in my life and advocated for me and was just a champion for me. Um, It actually makes me a little emotional to talk about it because you know, to have someone like that in your life is just so unbelievably important. Um, you know, in any industry that you're in, whether it's finance, whether it's, you know, liquor and beer, um, you know, to have someone that you respect and have someone who, you know, has been on a journey, um, that can help you, you have to have that person in your life. So I digress a little bit, but no, but you look, here's the thing. I mean, what we're talking about today is, I mean, especially people don't, and people don't necessarily understand if you're really good bartender. Yeah. If you're a skilled mixologist, whatever you want to call, I know bartenders right. want to be called bartenders. Yeah. But the reality of it is that right now they're going through stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, somebody that really cares about their craft, mm-hmm. they've had people that have believed in them yes. too. Yep. It's not just, hey, you know, you pour the tap handle and whatever. No. It's not that. There's so much more to it. Right. So and that's we can missing. Get into that, but yeah, and that's missing. Yeah. Yes. And and now you have the idea that there's a mentorship involved. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It, it it elevates to the next level. Yep. Right? And yep. and it opens doors for wherever that took you from when you met Alex. Yep. And that's to, exactly what that's right. exactly what happened. Where I ended up taking a job um, in, you know, high-end furniture sales. wasn't quite the right fit for me. Um, and so I went to Alex and I said, you know, I'm really unhappy. I need to, I need to pivot. And he said, I think you should try liquor and beer sales. So, man, I think I went on five interviews <laughs> with different breweries. And, you know, just kind of one of those... You need experience right. to have experience. Yes. Know, one of those situations. We'd love to and hire you, but you need experience. Yeah, you're right. And it's like, well, how do I get that? So, um, so finally I was on, I, th- I think I was on Bev Force and I saw an ad for Manitani and I used to live in East Pashunk and I would walk past their tasting room all the time. And, you know, I said, wow, like they're hiring a rep. I said that that's really interesting that a local distillery is looking to hire a rep. You know, what's going on here? Like, let me explore this a little bit. So I applied. Alex wrote me a beautiful recommendation letter. Mentors are great for that too. Um, And so the gentleman who was doing the hiring at the time is this amazing man. His name's Art Etchells and he's the founder of FUBU's. Uh, which is the Philly Magazine uh, food blog. So I sat down with Art, and we vibed. And, you know, sometimes, like, when you're interviewing for a job, it's not always about what can you do for them, but, you know, like, what can they do for you? And, you know, here was this guy who saw a need. You know, there was nowhere that you could go on the Internet and find good beer. And FUBU's blossomed out of that. And I said, this is someone that... I want in my life. And this is someone that I can really learn from. Um, So for some reason they hired me. And from there, that's really where I got my hands on whiskey experience. You know, when you work for a small company who produces their own whiskey, and we can talk about that a little bit later and kind of like what that means when you don't source your spirit. Um, You know, you, you face different challenges, but when you have a distiller 
who is in the building every day and super hands-on, your education, like, really starts to blossom. And I started to um, be able to taste whiskey in a way that I probably wouldn't have been able to to do um, in anywhere else. They They took a chance on me. They advocated for me. They gave me tools to grow their business. I grew their um, outside sales by 200% my first year. And that, you know, definitely has to do with, with, I think, my skills. But they also have a great product. Um, They have a really interesting, unique approach to whiskey that you're seeing more on the market now. But when they started back in 2008... Um, that wasn't there. When you talk about the unique approach for Manitani, what do you think that is? Malt-based. Okay. Virgin white oak barrels. They have a green bill more similar to a scotch, but they age in the bourbon style. So you're going to be drinking something that, whether you're a scotch drinker or a bourbon drinker, you're going to find something that you like. You're going to get that really beautiful vanilla maple nose. Um, that nice sweetness that you get from the barrel and that, that new barrel influence. Um, but then you're also getting that really beautiful smoke on the end from the malt and a little bit of spice from the rye. Um, there's just not a lot of things on the market like that. And I think that especially, you know, having worked in bars and restaurants, you're looking for something that's unique. You're looking for something that's not just another bourbon. You want to be able to have a conversation about what you're drinking because ultimately, like, whiskey is meant to be thought about and whiskey is meant to be pondered. Um, it's meant to start a conversation. Um, and for me, Manitani was a great conversation starter, whether it was talking about how Pennsylvania makes whiskey or the history of um, the fact that whiskey production in the New World and in the United States started in Pennsylvania. A lot of people don't know that rye was the one of the first age spirits right. in the new right. world. Because the grains that were available, what exactly. the people exactly. that came to this country knew to mm, make. Exactly. And it was easier to ship a spirit made out of a grain that you might not have had been able to use than it was to try to store the grain over a period of time. Exactly. And, you know, you also had major taxes on molasses. So even though there was a style of rum coming out of Boston that was very, very popular at the time, when the when the British and the Dutch East uh, India companies started taxing molasses, it made it extremely expensive for you know these these immigrants to to produce their spirits. So they sh- we're all talk- we're talking about pivoting. They pivoted into rye. Rye does better in sub-zero temperatures, so that's why, like a lot of times, like you see, it's a cover crop that basically exactly was there mm-hmm. after you grew your corn mm-hmm. and other grains or other you know items. Right. You kind of made sure that the soil didn't erode mm-hmm. and things like that. This is why I've been excited to sit down and talk with you because what I find is you want to know more. You study. You're fascinated by the history and just the overall, you know, from our conversations, it, it goes into all this knowledge yeah. about whiskey. So where did that start for you? You were a bartender. You were, you know, getting more involved in making cocktails. But when did the switch go for you that you became passionate about the spirits that you were putting in and, and wanting to learn more and all that? Manitani. Manitani was Manitani, yeah. So, yeah. So- I, when I started Manitani, I didn't know... <laughs> I didn't know the difference between bourbon, rye, whiskey, and scotch. Okay. But that's Nobody, okay. But like, I, and I think I did. I think I did, like, from, like, a cognitive level. Um, but I don't think I knew from, like, a more of, like, the technical level. And that was only, like, two and a half years ago. Like, it hasn't really been that long. But, but you've, you've so, accelerated the learning curve for you. Mm-hmm. It's, it's well, almost like you to, became voracious you know? on yes. wanting to know more, yeah. wanting to know more. Yeah. I mean, let's face it. There are people that listen to the podcast and, you know, that, that may be hearing this for the first time that truthfully don't know the difference between bourbon, rye, whiskey, scotch, all those things. 
I still learn all the time. Absolutely. I look, you know, Don and I talk about it all the time that we learn new methods. We, you know, discover new ways of doing something. Like, look, this Glenlivet, when you talk about I mean, I know that as a whiskey, Scotch whiskey, mm-hmm. uh, in, in some ways, um, you know, there's there's barrel uses and, and, and things that determine that. But, you know, now these distilleries are looking outside the box. Yeah. They're looking for new ways to bring their product to the market, mm-hmm. to bring to, to be relevant, to be yeah. interesting, yeah. to be new. Yeah, that's something I definitely wanted to talk about, especially because this is a non-H statement, um, and there's a lot of debate about that. So I definitely want to want to talk about that when uh, when we taste it. We're there. I mean, we're we're getting there. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to like, get too ahead of but, myself. So so what but for you? I mean, as there's someone, a passion for you. Yes. What what is it about? Like. What is it about whiskey? What is it about scotch? What is it about bourbon? What is it about that that, that gets you excited and emotional and passionate? What yeah. is it for you? It combines all of my interests. It combines everything that I love and care about. Um, so I, you know, I have a background as an actor. Like I love being around people. I love hearing about people's different experiences and there's no better way to hear about people's experiences when you sit down and like share a drink together. Um, and you know, there's an, I'm, I was an art history major, so there's an art that goes into making whiskey. It's not just about, you know, distilling a grain and putting it in a barrel. There is so much more that goes into it. There's science, there is patience. Um, you know, the, amount of time that it takes to create like a beautiful spirit, you know, there's no substitute for that. The blending, um, the cooperage, you know, those are, those are forms of art, um, that are just fascinating to me. And then, you know, the history behind spirits and whiskey, especially is the history of human beings. There was a time when water wasn't safe to drink and, People found that spirits were a better option. They were medicinal. They, If you couldn't sleep, drink some whiskey. If you're feeling shy, drink some whiskey. You have a stomachache, drink some whiskey. You have a toothache, drink some whiskey. If you have a headache, a, drink you, some whiskey. If you took like, a bullet, drink some whiskey. Drink some whiskey. Yes. Pour it on the wound. And you know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Like, you, like this, is, this is the history of who we are as, as a as a culture as human right. beings. Um, I mean, there's always wine being produced, you know, yeast fermentation, well, I, natural fermentation, mead and but, cider and things like right, that. Right, absolutely. But yeah, like this, you know, this history of fermentation is important to who we are as people. And a lot of, there's a lot of things about whiskey and wine that go hand in hand. You know, there's this, you know, magic that happens when you when you age whiskey or, you know, when you age wine, um, that no one can really explain. You know, you have the word towar that we use to describe this certain experience. Cause I don't like to say flavor because it's not just flavor. It's the way it feels in your mouth and it's the way that, um, you know, your senses react to that, to that wine. So, we, so we have that in wine, right? And that's really supposed to be the natural yeast that forms on the skin of the grape. Um, and just because you have the same varietal that grows on one side of a river, one side of a hill could taste, that wine could end up tasting completely oh, yeah. different from Absolutely. the same varietal. Absolutely. And it's the same thing with whiskey, where you can have the same liquid go into the same two barrels on the same exact day. And the two barrels could have come from the same cooperage and come from even, you know, the same tree and seasoned in the same way. But but depending on where you, they end up resting in the rickhouse. Right. And you could have two completely. The grain of the staves. It it also. You could have two completely different tasting whiskeys. And that is, that's magic. I don't know how else to explain it. I mean, like no one's really been able to figure it out, but. Through through Manitani, you know, I really was able to develop my palate, and I learned so much from our distiller um, Max Pfeffer, who you know has a background in uh, chemical engineering and brewery science, and he started as the head brewer at Sly Fox, right. and then in 2013 or 2012, uh, John Giannopoulos, who's the uh, owner of Sly Fox. 
came to Max and said, I want to start a whiskey distillery and like, I want you to be the distiller. And Max says, I don't know how to distill. And John says, figure it out, figure it out. Right. And they sent him down to, uh, I believe they sent him to Maker's Mark and he spent six months down there studying there. And, um, you know, now it's 2020 and Max is making some really, really incredible spirits. Um, you know, he didn't come from a family of distillers and which is again, when we talk about craft, Mm -hmm. the the, the craft industry, most of these people did not come from a family of distillers. We're not talking about, you know, every generational live live within a mile of Bardstown. Yeah. You know, exactly. Or Or like, right. Or Louisville or things of that nature. Yeah, absolutely. These are people, like I said, who are chemical engineers who produced perfumes and, um, uh, you know, different alcohol based things. Right. They knew the science, Mm -hmm. but even so, Mm -hmm. we've, we've met people that we've come across that never had much of an understanding of distilling other than they like just drinking the spirits. And then they go to classes, they go to Great. learn, they right. go to visit, right. mm-hmm. and they get that knowledge. Exactly. Um, you not know, to say it's just that easy. No, my God. Oh my God. No, absolutely not. I could, I could never, I could never be a distiller. Maybe a blender. Um, I am working on getting my palate to that point. But I mean, when you don't have, and again, I'm going to relate this back to wine, um, but you know, when you don't have that 500-year legacy that they have in France and you're making wine in, you know, Willamette Valley or in Napa, uh, sometimes you make different choices and you take different risks that maybe someone with that legacy might not have taken before. And you end up coming up with a really cool product. You know, Max originally wanted to do a 100% malt whiskey and it wasn't, wasn't hitting right. It just, like, wasn't good. Um, so he pivoted and he added in some wheat and he added in some rye. Um, and he created an entirely unique and interesting product. And and it also depends on, you talk about that. I mean, you talk about his experience, his knowledge, his learning mm-hmm. process. Mm-hmm. I mean, it also comes down to, Hey, what still did they choose? Yeah. Because right. they're not just making, they're not just making whiskeys. They're doing vodkas and different clear spirits as well. Yes, there's a choice there too. Right. right. So you have to say, all right, what equipment do I need? Mm-hmm. Because if I'm mm-hmm. resting this in five gallon barrels, 25 gallon barrels, 50 plus gallon, mm-hmm. you have to decide. You got money sitting there. There's so many different choices, but, so many different options. You yep. know, up there in Pottstown, they've mm-hmm. got a great tasting room. They've Beautiful. got a great cocktail Amazing. program. The they, stills they need, are incredible. Yeah, I mean, you got people that are walking out of Sly Fox going, "Man, uh, how do I?" What, what, right, right, and then they go Manawan. Right there, you go. <laughs> so they have to be able to be flexible, right, in terms of all the spirits they're producing, mm-hmm. but. Mm-hmm. You, you, you learn and you get that experience with Manitoni and just at the time COVID's about to hit, you then find your way to Southern Glacier. Yep. And so, so talk <laughs> so, about that right. a little bit and yep. then also talk about really from a standpoint, your, your responsibilities, your roles as far as what that has impacted in, in what you can and can't do or what you're doing more mm-hmm. of and, 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 and the like in terms of every day for you. Sure. When was it? So in, I guess it was February, February, um, I had a couple guys that are currently on my team, um, at Southern reach out to me. There's an opening. Um, the territory is Fishtown, Northern Liberties, Maniac, Chinatown, Fairmount. We think you would be a really great fit. Like we think you should go for it. And, you know, things at Manitani were great. There's no better time to look for another job when you don't need one. Um, you know, I had just hired my first assistant because it was getting to the – because I was doing all my own deliveries. Right. So it was kind of getting to the point where in order to grow the business and maintain the business, it wasn't the right balance. So I had just hired a new assistant and he was helping me with deliveries and, you know, things were, were starting to take off. Um, but I knew that I needed more training. Um, you wanted to grow I wanted to grow. Right. I needed, I wanted that corporate sales training. I wanted to, you know, art is amazing. Art left us or left Manitani for other ventures. He's amazing. Max is amazing. From a technical standpoint, I never, like I was mentioning before, I never would, I don't think 
working at any other (laughs) distillery for your first job. I don't think that many other people would have the experience where you go to the distillery for the day and he has six little bottles um, that are pulled right from barrels. And I had to sit down and taste them and write tasting notes. And I was getting to the point, or I'm at the point, where I could, you know, pour it out, proof it, smell it, and be like, this is a three-year-old whiskey. This is a second-use barrel. And, like, smell it again. Taste it. And then I'd be like, there's something different about it. Like, there's, like, like a certain, like, astringency or, like, it's, it's just, like, a little bit different. Like, what's different about this? Did you use a different grain? He's like, actually, yeah, like, that's a sixth grain. Like, I added rice just, like, for fun. So I was getting to the point where I'm, I can, you know, I can smell a spirit and I'll tell you probably, you know, if it's a bourbon, scotch, rye, whiskey, you know, how long it's been in the barrel within like a few years, um, you know, and what it's made of, um, and, and then be able to pick out different tasting notes, which everyone can do, by the way, I would love, I would, as much as I would love to toot my own horn, but everyone can do that. It's about finding the vocabulary, which I learned from wine classes. It's about being able to taste something and be able to put words to it. It's really hard, but once you learn how to do it, everyone can do it. You don't have to be a super taster. This amazing palate. It's just about training yourself. That's exactly um, what I'm thinking is your again. Yeah. I just just most people you just like have don't have take, the opportunity you, right, to sit down you, with a distiller and taste whiskey the way that I did. Of that time. Yeah. But what it is is really you have to to be patient with it. Yes. And you'll learn. Keep tasting. Over time. Keep trying. You know, just because someone tastes, you know, papaya and coconut in, you know, this 23-year-old scotch and you don't taste it doesn't mean you're wrong and it doesn't mean that they're right. It's your own experience. This is a conversation. It is completely objective. Um, You know, people always ask me, like, well, what's a good whiskey? Well, it's like, well, I don't know. Like, well, what do you like to drink? Like, I like Heaven Hill. I'll drink cheap, shitty whiskey. That's totally fine for me. Well, if Heaven Hill is listening, it's not cheap, shitty whiskey. It's value whiskey with a good, right? Exactly. Yes. No, I I mean, I I love Heaven Hill. Like, you know, what you touched on is very key that if you put a value on price, then it becomes your discerning. Opinion as to what is good and what is not good. If you value right? whiskey on price and age, you're not doing it right. Right. You're not doing it right. Because there are there are amazing twenty dollar bottles of bourbon whiskey, what have you, that would be better for somebody to enjoy and enjoy more than a seventy five, eighty, ninety, one hundred dollar bottle of whiskey. Absolutely. That they perceive that just right. based on price, Absolutely. this must be better. It's no. It is not about price. It is not about age. It's about maturity. And we can get into that if you want to. But And we can do that maybe when we talk about scotch. But it's it's about maturity. Talk, so, to, talk to me about right now with the impact of COVID. Yeah. In what you do and how you talk about. You're in an area of Philadelphia where there are a lot of bars and restaurants that are, that are serving a lot of people that want to drink good craft spirits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What has that, you know, what's that sure. whole impact been for you? Yeah, absolutely. So it is extremely challenging. What I'd really like for people to take away from our conversation today is to understand that things that we perceive as expensive, so maybe like a $20 cocktail or a $15 cocktail, there is a very specific and precise business practice around pricing of course. things. In order for restaurants to make money from serving cocktails, there has to be ideally somewhere on average between a 15 to 20% margin on their cost of goods. Okay. So that means that the price of the spirit is extremely important. And in order for people to use high-quality spirits – it's going to have to be a very ex- – it's going to be an expensive cocktail. So now, because some bars and restaurants are able to do maybe an eighth of what they were doing before, maybe let's be generous and say a quarter 
Yeah, I mean, people the want, if, if they're doing anything, they're doing ready-to-drink cocktails, which in the state of Pennsylvania, the bars and restaurants and distilleries have been allowed to make their own cocktails right. and sell them. And we're fortunate that, that we were able to do that. I think it came a little late, but that's okay. Bureaucracy. But it's still um, to your point. But if it's an expensive cocktail, how likely is that is that, is that business going to be able to sell something out the door at that, at right. that price point? Right. They're, they're not. Because, again, it goes back to the experience. I'm not sitting at the bar. I'm not watching the bartender make it. It's Absolutely. not the visual. It's, it's not, not the social. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, essentially, you're paying the same amount of money for a cocktail that you would have maybe gotten to, like, I don't know, sit and meet the couple next to you and make new friends um, and, you know, have this experience. You're not doing that anymore. So people are like, well, why am I paying all this money? You know, well... Do you know how many limes it takes to get a quart container? And depending on your lime, depending on the limes, you, like you're you're prepping for hours for fresh juices. You make a great and point. Great ingredients, and and even now the the the, the other the other ingredients, limes, fruit, whatever, even those cost of goods are higher higher now. than they used to be. And sourcing them mm-hmm. is a little bit more difficult, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I haven't. Seen I mean, not limes, lemons, too, not as much, but just. Everything is a little bit more expensive. Everything's a little bit more complicated. Um, you know, supply chains are stretched to the limits. There's a huge agave shortage. Um, there are differences of opinions. We don't know exactly what's going on. But if you walk into a liquor store, you might notice that the tequila section is extremely limited. Agave is a, <laughs> a very difficult plant to grow. Right. It takes... For blue ever agave to reach maturity around seven years at the minimum. Um, so tequila is extremely popular right now and it's extremely popular in, in your warmer months. Um, in Mexico, brewing wasn't seen as an essential you, business. You sure so it's not all- because Dwayne Johnson bought up all the agave for his termana, termina? You know what? I, I mean, mean- he, he cornered the market and now he's, he's, nobody else has tequila. I don't know. I haven't heard that. <laughs> well, Dwayne wants that. to comment on that. And I'm a big fan. So um, I, I don't know. But I know that there's border issues. There's tariff issues. There are, you know, brewing wasn't seen as an essential business. So there's also a corona shortage. You know, there's supply chain issues. All right, I don't mind the corona shortage. Because they can right? keep that corona. Yeah, they can, they can keep it. Yeah. Uh, I automatically don't trust you if you drink Corona. Um, I don't know if we'll have anything in common, but there's there's a lot there's a lot going on. Um, there's a lot of challenges that the restaurant industry is facing. Um, you know, let alone the regulations that are in place to keep people safe. Um, you know, you're having these individuals literally risking their lives to serve you your small plates and your cocktails. Please be kind and please be cognizant of the fact that they are working with less staff. They're working with less resources. um, And they're in very, very uncomfortable circumstances. Please everybody's be kind doing to the these best. People. Everybody's Everyone doing the best doing they can. The best that they can. And here's the thing. I mean, this goes to everything that's going on in the world right now. Kindness. 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 Please be kind. Understand that when you wake up every day, somebody else woke up with their own struggles, with their own issues. And if we just demonstrate and we exercise kindness for everybody. Kindness and sympathy. Right. And and understanding that we're all working together to try to make this the best experience we can for everybody. Now, in our case, our experience includes spirits. Yes. Which is okay. Yeah. That makes it better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So talk about, we got, we've got Jameson Cold Brew. Mm-hmm. Talk about that. Talk okay. about that product for you and what it means and the experience of that. Sure. So... Jameson is a beloved Irish whiskey. So Irish whiskey is generally malt-based. It is triple distilled, unlike 
scotch and American whiskeys um, that are usually only distilled twice. Um, so it creates a little bit of a lighter tasting spirit. Um, you're going to get a little bit of that smokiness um, at the end coming in from the malt. Um, and when I say a lighter spirit, I'm talking about the fact that they're using a hybrid column still. And a hybrid column still is different from a pot still in that the when you are separating water from the alcohol solids, um, the hybrid column still is can be extremely tall. Like at Manitani, we use a hybrid column still, and it's 25 feet tall. You know, when at Middleton Distillery, you're producing huge amounts of spirits. Right, if you go so to Sagamore much- in Maryland, in Baltimore, yeah, I, mean, I think I think that column still is like 18 stories or mm-hmm. something. It's yeah, just crazy. They're huge. It's just huge. Absolutely. So what ends up happening, and not to get like too technical, but what ends up happening in a hybrid column still is that you're that you end up being able to make a little bit of a stronger, higher proof spirit because you're reusing the liquid that condenses inside of the still and you're distilling it again. So you're getting all of those alcohol solids. And when you have a higher still, um, the difference between a, like when you have a higher column into the arm, it makes it more difficult for some of those heavier alcohol solids to get over the arm. So when you, and it's, it's just personal preference of, of the distiller and, you know, the style of spirit that they're trying to make. Um, but when you leave those heavier alcohol solids out, you get like a really nice light spirit and, you know, Jameson is known for that. Um, and Jameson is, you know, really known for bringing Irish whiskey to the States, um, and making it really popular here. So Jameson... Why a cold brew? What was their focus sure. or thought for that? Sure. So, um, because this becomes more of an intense mm-hmm. flavor when you talk about a lighter mm-hmm. spirit. Mm-hmm. This I'm thinking. Well, a when I talk about a lighter now. spirit, I'm talking about mouthfeel. Yeah, I, I understand. So, right. But this is so, not that right. anymore. So, Jameson is always coming out with different innovations. Um, they have their IPA and their stout and their castmates. Um, so this was next and this came out back in March. Um, and this was really to speak to the popularity of, um, cold brew coffee. The fact that people are becoming even more interested and becoming coffee connoisseurs. This is an Irish, I'm, I'm, I'm sipping this as we're talking. Mm-hmm. This is an Irish coffee. Yes, it is delicious. This, right. And it's not sweetened. There's no added sugar. Um, in terms of the how we're combining the coffee and the whiskey, I can't tell you that. Okay. That's a secret. Proprietary secret. Proprietary secret. Um, but it is slightly caffeinated. Drink it over ice. Um, I love it with Campari. Um, but it is also really fun to play with um, in a cocktail. As your like, cocktail. As a cocktail. Um, so it is a little bit, it is a little bit lower in proof. Um, 30%. Yep. So it's a 60 so proof. So it's 60 proof. So, you know, if you're looking for a little bit of a lower ABV cocktail, especially at brunch, this is a great way to go. Um, especially if you're looking for a little bit of a, you know, hair of the dog, a little caffeine in there as well. Um it, it plays really beautifully. Um, and, you know, as a little bit of a whiskey traditionalist, I was a little hesitant to try this, but, like, I actually love it. Um, it's actually one of my favorite products that we have right What's now. What's nice about the lower proof is that this becomes more of an everyday sipping spirit. Mm-hmm. It's a, not overwhelming a, right. coffee It, it becomes – it's in that – I mean, I don't want to compare it to, like, a liqueur – but it, it almost falls in between a liqueur yeah. and, and, yeah. and more of a traditional Absol- distilled spirit. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Um, I Coffee and whiskey play really beautifully. You can smell coffee notes in, in a whiskey. Um, so coffee, the coffee and the cold brew in the Jameson is not meant to hide any flavor. It's meant to complement. I, I agree with and that. And to play together. I agree with that. This mm-hmm. plays very well together. Yeah. And yeah. this is something that I think that, again, as we've – um, highlighted with your cocktail, if you're looking, if you're home, I mean, you're doing things now in small, you know, gatherings where you're inviting somebody over to the house for a brunch, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. you just want to just have a nice cocktail. This is something where you can be creative with it. It is so accessible. I'm telling you, you do not need to have a background in bartending or like any kind of industry knowledge. Two ounces of this 
into your cold brew coffee and any kind of creamer or milk, sugar, whatever you want, add it in there. It's it's delicious. Put it in with Coca-Cola. Delicious. Um, there's so many different... Make a Boulevardier with it, with your Campari and your sweet vermouth, which is something that you probably shouldn't have at your home bar. Um, like a sweet vermouth. At least sweet vermouth. At least sweet vermouth. Campari would be great as well. Um, but, you know, I can't, I can't tell you how to put together your bar. But, I mean, but we can have a conversation there's about a, that if you want. Yeah. Next, but, um, the next podcast we do. Um, how pretty, to build a home bar. Yeah, yeah, but I think that's a good, I think that's a good segment. I think yeah. that's something for you to, I mean, again, here's, here's what we find ourselves. We don't know every day what our new life is going to be. We can Correct. just work within what we have. Mm-hmm. And for mm-hmm. people to, like, like, I hope, Dawn and I have talked about this. We want to go back to being able to go to a bar. You, we've, we've talked about that. But right now, you know, different states have right. different this is what we have. restrictions. Right. So build your bar. Build your bar. And, and, and have a base of, you know, vermouth and your clear spirits, mm-hmm. your vodka mm-hmm. and your rum. Yeah. And all those mixers like Campari or things that are very versatile. Yeah. That you can, you know, you, you, can you need an orange spirit. You know, things like that. Yeah. So you have all that. All right. So what can people expect the price point to be on this if they're going to their liquor store or their online spirit, Sure. you know, delivery system? Sure. Um, in Pennsylvania, Jameson Cold Brew is coming in at twenty six ninety nine. That's nothing. No. I mean, for a good spirit like this, high quality. That you can do so much with and right. so versatile. It's a great addition. Yeah, this this yeah. I, I'm glad. You know, so I hadn't had this yet. I'm I'm really happy for the introduction. Yeah, and this is a great spirit. This is something Good, you pull I'm, out. I'm so glad you like it because the Jameson name is very recognized. Yes, and if you have not heard about the cold brew, this even creates a whole conversation. This is an experience. This is that social aspect to just share, sit, sip, really, really talk about what flavors you you experience Absolutely. and what you can do with it. Absolutely. I'm excited about the Glenlivet. Let's yes. talk about the Glenlivet. Yes. Okay. We'd been talking a little bit about how I ended up at Southern. Um, and so there are different divisions in Southern Glazers. So I specifically work with the Pernod Ricard portfolio. So Pernod Ricard is a distillery group. And their brands that you're probably most familiar with are Jameson, Absolute, Malibu, Kahlua and the Glenlivet. The Glenlivet is one of my favorite scotches. So, you know, kind of going back to what do you like? I'm not a big Isla scotch person. Okay. I'm more into the Highlands. Um, I like a more citrus forward scotch. I like a little bit more of a lighter body. Um, not the peaty, smoky. That's not, not your. That's really, not for like, you. I will drink it. Of course. You know, if someone. Buys you one? <laughs> <laughs> right, yes, yes. If someone, you know, has a 40-year-old, you know, Glenmorchie or Laphroaig or something like that, yes, I will drink it. Okay. You know, no questions asked. Um, but, you know, I'm looking for things, like I said, a little bit more um, on the lighter citrusy side. Um, and Glenlivets are known for that. So a Glenlivet is a style of scotch um, coming from the Glen of Livet, Glenlivet. Um, and then the Glenlivet was the first to actually trademark the name, if that makes sense. No, this is great. Again, it's the history. It's the education. We yes. get to we get to take what your knowledge is and then share it and, and educate and teach people. Mm-hmm. Because the more you the more you understand the name, the you become passionate about it. Yes. You become immersed in the experience yes. of it. Yes, it is not just something that you drink to you know get a buzz like there is culture and history and human beings families um behind behind these things yeah and 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 if you the thing is if you go and we go back to manitoni Mm -hmm. so if you go back to if you visited the distillery yes you are now in in into hey I know the history now. I know more about what they're doing. I've been there. So if I see that there's a new release, you become really part of that story. Yes. It, it, it's not just buying a yes. bottle on the shelf. Mm-hmm. It's it's understanding. So when you talk about the history of Glenlivet, mm-hmm. you talk about Scotch versus an Irish whiskey. Mm-hmm. You talk about the different regions in Scotland yes. and what that yes. means. Yes. You're introducing a real strong connection. We can sit mm-hmm. down and talk about 
why Glenlivet is what it is and why more people are passionate about it than, than something else that they may just find at the liquor store. Right. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. People have been following this brand for, you know, they could be following this brand for a hundred years. Um, and it's really, it's really cool to, to have I mean, that they're legacy. Gonna be, they're but... four years off of being 200 years old. Mm-hmm. So that's exciting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're a part of that. Yes. So, Absolutely. So, so talk about more about so sure. I mean, here's so, what keys. I mean, you talk about a pot still versus a column still. Yes. You know, whiskey's made in a pot still. Oftentimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, for the most part. For the most part, especially in Scotland. Um, so pot stills, yeah, have been used for hundreds of years, and it creates a little bit of a heavier body spirit. Um, so you have the column and you have the arm, and and a lot of people call it like the swan's neck, and depending on how long that column is that changes the body um and, and, of and your the width, the so, opening everything mm-hmm. right yep so like abelauer for example uses a little bit of a shorter um column because they want some of those heavier alcohol spirits because they want like a nice coat um a nice velvety mouthfeel um some people like a little bit more of like that drying effect some um, that could also go really well with some of the tannins in the wood that kind of give you sort of like this salivation um, under your tongue um, that, you know, makes you want to go back for another sip. And it's really just all about your art and your preference. And there's no wrong answer. Um, you know, there's lots of different whiskeys out there because there's lots of different whiskey drinkers. So I think the most important thing is to is to have an opinion. To you know, taste with intent, um, and to, you know, be excited to try something new. With that said, collecting and buying whiskey is an expensive hobby. Um, it's very daunting to have to go into a liquor store and spend $50 on a bottle of whiskey that you don't like. So, you know, it can be certainly, it can certainly be helpful to be able to go into, you know, a restaurant just like to try things. Um, but, you know, whenever you have the opportunity, if you see something new that you don't know, try it. So talk about Glenlivet. Sure. So Caribbean Reserve, Reserve and so, what that is mm-hmm. versus what a, a regular Glenlivet or some other, you know, distilled spirit coming from the Glenlivet distillery would be. Absolutely. So Glenlivet is probably best known for their 12-year. We have seen a big increase in interest in single malt scotches over the past 10 years and that has really depleted supply it's great that people are drinking single malts don't get me wrong but they're for a 12 year old whiskey the youngest whiskey in that bottle has to be at least 12 years old so you right because there's a blend it's a blend right it could you could find bottle you could find they're pulling um barrels that are 15 years mm-hmm. i mean it's all about what the blender's looking to produce as far as a exactly. flavor exactly but in order to call it a 12 year old whiskey the youngest spirit in it has to be at least 12 years old and that has really drained the supply in a lot of these um companies Wh- whether it's scotch or whether it's bourbon doesn't matter so what people have started to do is they've started releasing non-age statement spirits. So, and there's a big debate right now about, you know, what is that doing to the scotch and whiskey industry? And like, is that changing the integrity of our scotches? There's different opinions. In my opinion, I say no. Coming from a background of a, of working at a younger distillery and seeing what you can do with, Blending barrels, because I know single barrels are really big as well, and they're cool too, but seeing the cre- creativity and the really the canvas that you have to build a really interesting, unique spirit um, by blending, in my opinion, I think that that's what non-age statement scotches and whiskeys are, are doing for the landscape of whiskey right now. So I think in terms of age statements, mm-hmm. and again, this yeah, is like, what do you, my, yeah, like what do you is, think? This is our you know the conversation that Dawn and I have. Yeah, that in a lot of cases, age statements were based on a more traditional way of drinking whiskey. Absolutely, coming through, you know, you know, even the seventies and eighties, nineties. That was, hey, it's got to be this age, or there's got to be at least an age to it before we think it's good. Exactly. And that's kind of what I was touching on before, where there's a difference between age and maturity. 
I mean, again, think about so it. Just You're because, at Manitoni. Yeah. They weren't rolling out 50-gallon barrels and putting stuff up for 40 years. No. Well, in, the, in the beginning, right. my guess is maybe they rolled they, they, they rolled out some initial ones. Yes. But there are distillers right now who are doing 5-gallon barrels who are aging for two years, which I would tell you taste – as good, if not better, than four-year-old, seven-year-old bourbons or rye. So I don't right. think the age statement as is important as we talk about what's blending. I mean, mm-hmm. you could you you could you could char the heads differently. You could toast the barrels differently. Right. Season them differently. Exactly. It's, it's, I, you know, I, how are you treating the spirit? What grains are you using? Right. It's if you all put, that. If you put shitty liquid into a barrel, it doesn't matter how long you age it for, it's still going to be shitty whiskey. It's really important what you put into the barrel. Um, you know, there could be a, you know, a hotter summer with more rain and things will age differently. You know, you were talking about doing like the smaller barrels. I disagree with that. I'm not really into a smaller barrel. I think it's cheating a little bit. I think that the whiskeys that I have tried in smaller barrels to me are a little bit over oaked. I'm super, super sensitive to that green new oak smell. I don't like it. Like in the Achentoshan 12, I think, I think it's a 12 year. Um, that's all I smell and I, I don't like it. It's not for me. I, I want to, I want my whiskey to be in those 50 gallon barrels because I, I want it to have the opportunity to create that current in the barrel to be absorbed and pushed through, um, those wood grains to get a really nice, even coating of surface area, um, you know, through, through the whiskey. I think the point about that is, I think the point about that, and I understand what you're saying because a number of... The, 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 the smaller barrels are an effort to get the product to market faster. It's also a training process. It's also a learning mm-hmm. process for those distillers mm-hmm. to practice on mm-hmm. something and get an idea of what the response is going to be. Right. You can go oh, then from a, a five-gallon you know five yeah, to a 15-gallon like barrel. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, there's a lot of money invested in a still. There's mm-hmm. a lot of money invested in your structure, Huge your infrastructure. Overhead. And again, if you're, if you're just opening and – you're looking to not just have clear spirits because the public and the consumer is looking for a brown spirit and mm-hmm. new spirit. It's through that process. But again, the most important thing is it comes out to taste and what you prefer. Yes. Absolutely. So why did Glenn live it? What is how did they treat their whiskey sure. on this? How did they treat their scotch? What's the what's the what, what's it set to apart to create a Caribbean reserve? What right. is that? So essentially what that means is that this whiskey has been finished in Caribbean rum barrels. So our distillers went to the Caribbean proprietary knowledge. We won't tell you the rum distillery that they chose, but they did go and choose a rum distillery and brought that rum back with them to Scotland. Those barrels were emptied of the rum and Caribbean Reserve. Now I want to know what they did with the rum. I don't even know that. Want, they won't want, tell us. I know. <laughs> I know. I want to know because I really – I want that rum. Um, but uh, they – this is a 7- to 12-year-old blended whiskey um, that was finished in, in these Caribbean casks. Um, so you are still getting that scotch backbone, you know, on the nose. I, I do – you know, you get the malt. Like those, that gorgeous malt. Like you get that second-use barrel where like you do get like a little bit of like that toffee kind of like in the back of like your soft palate. Um, Thanks for saying that. I love when people introduce like something I'm smelling but I can't put my the, – the toffee. I, yeah. get, I get raisins on the nose. I get sure. stone fruit, like a plum sure, on yeah, the yeah, nose. Yeah, yeah. Int- that's, you know what? That's very interesting that you say that. Um, I like to call – I like to call raisin. I like to call it sultana. Um, that's my, that's my raisin is Sultana. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm, I'm lost for understand. I, how is a raisin? Is, is that a brand? I don't know. No, it's just like another word for raisin that makes you sound smarter. Oh, okay. Good. Thank you. You're so so now that, so now next time you go, next Sultana, time you smell, go to, you I know, a whiskey tasting, oh yeah. People are going to be like, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, so have you tasted whiskey on your show before? Do your listeners know how to taste whiskey? Yes, but we can get your experience, too. Okay. Um, everyone does it a little bit differently. Um, I like to... 
the cats trying to drink your whiskey. That's fun. <laughs> um, the cat's so nosing my whiskey as I'm nosing cat, my whiskey. Great. She is, we're working on it. Lilith Celine Dion. Lilith Celine Dion. She'll be one in September, but she's already on her way to being a master taster, I'm telling you. <laughs> um, so... With all Master this, Biter, just I, there. I know. <laughs> I know. We're working on it. We're working on it. Um, so everyone tastes a little bit differently, um, but especially when it comes to distilled spirits, you don't want to stick your nose too far in it because all you're going to smell is ethanol. So I like to kind of just place my nose just close enough so that I can start to smell it. I leave my mouth slightly open because you're nose and mouth are connected um and that is all going all of these smells are going into your olfactory um nerve which lives in your frontal lobe and what also lives in your frontal lobe is your short-term memory um so oftentimes when you smell something and it reminds you of an experience or a memory it's because that all lives in this i love that you say that because i'm smelling this pathway in hawaii Along a row of hibiscus. Love that. That's what I'm smelling right I now. I love, no, I love that. Like, discount, like wet flowers. Yeah. Um, or just like wet flora and fauna. Like, there's definitely like, this very, very interesting, like, vegetal, like, organic um, nose to this, which can also come from peat. Sometimes people mistaken peat for smokiness, and that's not it. You're getting your smoke from the malt. Um, so, that, but you know, the thing about what's really interesting about this is that molasses from that made from rum has that kind of like funk, that kind of like like rubbery smell. I'm that glad you I brought love. that up because you have to remember that's what's still in the wood. Please, there's you, still right. there's still that in the wood yes. when these get yes. emptied that now is being introduced to the scotch. Anytime you're drinking a finished whiskey, whether it's a Madeira cask, a port cask, sherry cask, you are getting those notes that should i find that they lay on top um of those other um so how do you know here's the thing you talked about funk how do i know it's not the glass but what's in the glass well they're clean glasses no i'm just kidding um (laughs) no because i always i always think that like because because glassware has a smell it does I know that's surprising, right? I just kind of set you back on that. Yeah, that's. Um, I've never had anybody say that to me before. Um, yes, there is. You are going to get a certain, you know, outside element to. So sometimes I'm thinking. Well, you know, there could I, be a lady it, sitting across the bar, like wearing perfume. You know, the smell of the bar. Absolutely, yeah, like, anything. There's can going get to be outside elements. Yes, that's and like that's fine, and you know that's why, like when. Max and I taste whiskey, like, we're tasting whiskey at, like, 10 a.m. And we stop, and we take a break, and we come back, and we revisit. You don't want to taste when you've had a bad day. You don't want to taste after a night of drinking. You don't want to taste, you know, after, you know, having, like, a really, um, like, effervescent meal. And by effervescent, I... That's not the right word. What did I want to say? Like, like a very pungent meal. Like if you had like Indian food or like Thai food or something that has like really where strong. Your, yeah, spice I mean, where your palate is now overwhelmed with a lot of different things. You want to go in with a very nice, clean palate to like the best of your ability because, and then you want to taste multiple times because there's definitely been times where like I've tasted a whiskey and been like I love that, and then I try it again. I'm like I don't like that. You know, you have to continue to taste because your palate's going to be a little bit different. Understand that we can leave this out for half an hour. Sure. After tasting yeah. this, and it yeah. would, it might have some different characteristics, different notes as this as the oils warm up, as, as everything mm-hmm. kind of starts. Mm-hmm. To, so drop a couple, drop a little bit of water in right. it, open it up. Um, that's totally fine. You know, uh, the Japanese like drinking their scotch with cold green tea. Scotland, they like to put water in it. South America, I've seen them drink it just totally neat. I mean... Everybody has a different way has, cultural right. way of doing it. Right. So you and talked about... Wrong. You talked about your way or... How, how do you... You talked about... We talked about nosing. Mm-hmm. Is there a specific way that you do drink the scotch? Is there a way that... The Caribbean cask? Or just scotch in general? Just scotch in general? Yes. So I will drink like four to five sips. Um... Because I think it really changes, especially after the second sip, because like your your mouth numbs a little bit from that from the ethanol right. from the from the alcohol, um, and then from there you can really start to like really pick out flavors. But 
in my opinion, I think you're kind of getting like 80% of your tasting notes really from your nose, even before you taste it. Um, so yeah, I'll drink like four or five sips, um, you know, just by itself. Like I definitely want to see the way it, you know, lays on the glass. Like I want to look at the legs, you know, same, same thing with wine. Like you want to see like, you know, the, is, is it a light medium or, um, heavy bodied spirit. This is probably like on the medium side. Cause like the, the legs are coming in like pretty quickly. Um, like, you know, light to medium. Um, and then after that, like I will drop a little bit of water in it. Um, but I also love a scotch cocktail. I love a penicillin um, that the Caribbean cast is gorgeous with because it's going to What goes into a penicillin? Um, a penicillin is um, – it can be blended scotch, um, but it's typically blended scotch and um, and ginger. Okay. That sounds awesome. It's like would delicious. you do a gin- ginger simple syrup? Or just fresh. Well, ginger. I would do a fresh. I would do a fresh ginger juice and a little simple, and then there's also a single malt float on top, and you can pick the single malt float that you'd like to have. But this is going to be really beautiful in it. Just kind of pair the ginger with some of those more, um, you know, that, that toffee note. Um, I get some. I get tropical fruits. I get papaya. Um, what I notice about like this, and as we've been sipping this, as we've been going through. I do get the rum in there, mm. and it sits in the back of the palate, mm-hmm. and it just—it's a nice, easy, lingering. Um, as as I haven't had a sip for a few minutes, I get the grassiness um, or mm-hmm. the earthiness yeah. that kind of comes out too. Absolutely. And there's there's the malt that that kind of there, probably mm-hmm. the oak from the barrel. It plays really, really nicely. I was actually really pleasantly surprised because I got to say, like, I'm not the biggest fan of Finnish whiskeys. Um, for a couple reasons. Um, it's not that I don't like the flavor. I just don't love, like, the culture around it where, like, if I have a 23-year-old scotch that's been finished in a sherry cask, that is a immediate signifier for me that that whiskey isn't very good. Because why would you put a 23-year-old scotch into a sherry cask to finish it? Why would it? Why would a twenty-three-year-old scotch need any more flavor? It really shouldn't. Right. So it's fine from like the artistic, you know, wide canvas perspective, sure. But on the secondary market, if you're trying to charge more because it's finished in a sherry cask, it's wrong. This is but that's been, pers- That's my personal. Th- this has been a treat, and <laughs> it's great. So Glenlivet Caribbean Reserve. What is what's somebody going to find that on the shelf? Costing. Amazing price. Right now it's $35.99 in Pennsylvania. $35.99. Mm-hmm. I think these two items are definitely things that people should add to their bar. It's accessible. It's at a great price. This is point. very they're I mean, both very easy to drink. They're very easy to make cocktails with. And more importantly to me, going back to that social aspect of the fact that this is a conversation. Yes. You we, we can all sit down and talk about the barrel and the experience and the history mm-hmm. and what we taste out of that. Yeah. And it's it's they're both very good, very strong, very delicious items. I really enjoy both of them. Good. I'm so glad you like them. So talk about – so Emily, you're a little bit different because, yeah. you know, it's like not how do people find you because, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm sure you have a social media presence. But, sure. But not necessarily something that, you know, is – is you know, what – you talk about wanting to maybe be a blender or something. Yes. One day. Where, where, like, I guess it's that idea of, you know, are there other items that we can expect coming out of Southern Glazer that we can anticipate in the future maybe hearing about? Yes, but I can't tell you. You can't tell us. What we can tell you is that we look forward to having Emily back on the podcast real soon to talk about what is new from Southern Glazer's Wine and Spirits. Thanks again for taking the time to sitting down and listening to the podcast. See you soon.